Meaningful feedback can be a gift that can help us work at our best. However, ineffective feedback can lead to unintended consequences, such as employee disengagement and an inability to work at our best. In this episode, I speak to Dr. Kelly Waltman, founder and CEO of SLR Leadership Consulting, about the importance of effective feedback, how to structure it in a way that leads to better performance, and why effective feedback is critically important to our personal and professional growth. Maybe it's not even that there's truly a negative performance issue, but it really is just about that opportunity for growth. And if you aren't giving that feedback on a regular basis, you're depriving that person of that opportunity to grow. Dr. Waltman has over 20 years of professional development and public speaking experience and brings over a decade of managerial and leadership experience to her work. She specializes in business communication and cultivating a feedback culture within an organization. So, ready to dive into how to provide meaningful feedback? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Kelly Waltman, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. I'm really excited to, to have this conversation. I am too. We had a great conversation a few weeks back, and I was lucky enough to be on your live podcast, which was which was a great experience, and I really enjoyed our conversation. So folks, if you haven't seen that yet, I'm going to put the link out in the episode notes so you can go check out that conversation. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a different turn today because now I get to interview Kelly. <laughs> so I'm really excited about that. So... Your podcasts are out there. I went out to LinkedIn and I was taking a look of other things that were out there when I had an opportunity to, to be on your show. And I really love the, some of the topics that you focus on out there. But I also love the name that you've given, which is Courageous Leader. So how would you define a courageous leader? Yeah, well, thank you. First of all, I appreciate that. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I was working on the framework for the way I wanted to to think about and convey leadership. And, you know, a lot of what I do focuses on communication. I'm sure we'll talk about that a good bit today. Um, but thinking about an approach to leadership in general, one of the things that really resonated with me and, and I wanted to put it out there was this idea of courageous leadership. And I think often leaders feel as though they need to have all of the answers all of the time. And Often leaders are afraid to show vulnerability and to to show that maybe they don't have the answers and they're not sure. So for me, the idea of courageous leadership is that you are willing to lead with that vulnerability, that you are willing to show that you need to rely on your team for the answers and for help. And that what really makes an effective leader is being able to empower your team to help you do that. You know, I would say if you if you're really smart as a leader, you surround yourself with some amazing people who make you look really good. <laughs> so, you know, being willing to obviously do your part to to shepherd that team, but to be willing to work with them, bring your whole self to work, allow them to bring their whole selves to work. One of the other reasons that I really like the term courageous is it has that that root word core, you know, the Latin word for heart. And I think also leaders sometimes are a little hesitant to say, well, I should lead with my heart. That sounds, you know, a little mushy or um, that's just, that's not how I, you know, think about leadership. But really, again, if you are leading with your heart, you are shepherding your team in a way that is empowering them and and helping the team as a collective be its best. You are willing to show that vulnerability. And like I said, you're willing to let people bring their whole selves to work. I think the old approach of work is work, 
personal life is personal life. Never shall the two meet. Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that we expect people to just come in, almost be robots and do their job and leave their personal lives and the rest of themselves behind. You know, that's really, we're understanding that that's not a good way to approach work and that's not a good way to approach leadership. And so that's really what I think about, like the, all of those components make up courageous leadership for me. Yeah. And I, I love some of those things you brought in. And a lot of them really do relate to our current world uh, with a larger remote workforce still to this day and probably for some time into the future. Um, you can't really easily separate life from work. Many of us have experienced it. Even Kelly and I were talking before we started recording about just, you know, trying to separate, you know, some of the work things that we do or the podcast things that we do from, you know, the happenings and goings on in our lives or with our families and so forth. It's almost impossible to fully separate our work from our lives. And so having that acknowledgement that people have multiple things that might be happening outside of their work is really important for leaders. But I also love that point you made about what courage actually means. I think in the old thinking, the old leadership thinking or traditional thinking is that if you show vulnerability, that is seen as more of a weakness rather than a strength. But reframing that to say, no, it's courageous to be vulnerable, mm -hmm. to demonstrate that you do have weaknesses and that you're willing to accept help is tremendously important as we think about the future, because we're not going to have all the answers. And leaders today are struggling with that exact uh, mindset of how do I make sure that I demonstrate the right approach, the right mindset to our people so that they feel comfortable enough to talk about problems or to talk if they've made a mistake or speak up if they have an idea. So those things are tremendously important in teams. Absolutely. You know, and I think about my own experience I would much rather have a leader that, I mean, of course, you're expecting your leader to have answers some or most of the time. Of course, we're not saying that leaders should always just say, oh, I don't know. Um, but when you think about those times, like you mentioned, where we're in the situation we've been in for the last several months, where things are just completely upended, but even in not such a drastic sense, if you are facing something new as a team or, you know, taking on a new challenge or just, you know, maybe something has come up, I would much rather have a leader that says, you know what? Okay, this is new for us. I'm not quite sure what the best option is. Let's sit down and figure it out together. Let's talk through this. That willingness to admit that this is new territory and I don't have all the answers, but I'm here to help us work together to figure it out. And that's my job as a leader to help us do that rather than pretending you have all the answers. You know, I would much rather have that approach than, than a leader that just decides to either fake it or not hear a team out and decide the way it's going to be. And just yeah, that honesty, that transparency, that vulnerability, uh, that humility. I think most people would appreciate a leader that's willing to come to the table and have that dialogue rather than just pretend they've got it all figured out and then lead you down the completely wrong path. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's really important to think about, too, is that who do you want to follow? Mm-hmm. And I think all of us have experienced, you know, different types of leaders, the people we really want to follow, the people we trust, the people we feel like are leading us in the right direction, usually are those who are willing to listen, right? as well as they're willing to direct or to give us kind of a direction where we need to go. I think when we get misinformed uh, direction from our leaders uh, that may not align with what we're seeing, may not align with our strengths or our direction or our beliefs or our values, we're much less likely to want to follow those kind of leaders, which makes us much less likely to be engaged in our work. Um, and then you get into that mindset of potential employees thinking like, 
I'm here to do my job. I'll just I'll do my job and then I'll go home and then separate. And then that kind of goes back to the mindset we we're talking about before, separating work from life. And it's just not even realistic anymore, but it also leads to you know high levels of, I think, disengagement from employees. Absolutely. One of the words that you used in there that is, I think, really central to what we're talking about too, is that idea of trust. Mm. You know, so not only are we going to respect that leader that's willing to have that dialogue, but trust is a huge issue. And again, of course, even if you sit down and you have this dialogue, leaders are still going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. And so also being willing to admit that, being willing to admit, you know, I could have approached this differently. I could have approached this more effectively, or we made the best decision we could at the time. Um, and still we realize now we could have done better. And being willing to admit those things and have an open dialogue about the reality of being human, you know, that also is going to cultivate trust, which is just essential. Without trust, then yeah, you're going to have, like you talked about that disengagement. Um, you're not going to have a fully functioning optimized team, if that's the case. Absolutely. And one of the central points that you brought up too, and that is is around dialogue and really effective dialogue, being able to have open and honest conversations. And I think one of the things that often leaders struggle with, there's been many debates, many approaches over time about how to handle feedback to employees, how to help employees work at their best. And I think this is something that sometimes organizations need to think differently about, especially now when in general people are struggling with stuff outside of work and may require a higher level of empathy than they may have needed in the past. So what are some of the mistakes or uh, missed opportunities you might have seen from leaders when they're trying to provide feedback to their employees? Yeah, when you thinking about that, I, there are probably a long list of things that we could discuss, but uh, there are three big things that come to mind when I think about that. And the first one is just putting off those conversations, just not having those feedback conversations, those difficult conversations. And even with feedback, we can also talk about positive and you know affirmations and, and that positive feedback. But particularly when thinking about difficult conversations and critical feedback, well, I think one of the biggest mistakes and missed opportunities leaders make is just failing to have that dialogue. You know, they put it off because it's likely going to be an uncomfortable conversation. They fear, are they going to say the right thing? How's the person going to respond? And they build this up. And often there's 50 other things that are demanding of their time and energy that day. And so that just gets pushed off. It's easy to justify putting that off to the next day. And so I think that's probably the biggest one. And the most frequent is just delaying and putting off those conversations. The second one is I think often leaders aren't clear enough when they have those conversations. Again, I think sometimes leaders want to soften the blow if they're giving some critical feedback or, you know, they are very vague. And rather than coming in with very clear and concise, both feedback and expectations for moving forward, they either tiptoe around it or candy coat it, or just, again, because they're not completely comfortable and confident in how to have that conversation, it ends up not really coming across as clear as should be, which is kind of the segue for the third is thinking about the old approach of the, the feedback sandwich. And I keep encouraging people. I said, can we, let's stop making sandwiches. Uh, <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's, let's stop making sandwiches. Let's put that practice aside. I think there was very good intention. And I understand the school of thought, you know, the feedback sandwich. So you start with something positive, then you give them something critical, and then you end with something positive. I think 
you know, that feels good, we think that that's a, a nice approach mm. to kind of ease people in and then leave them with something positive. And so I get why that's an approach, but ultimately it really can just be confusing for people. You know, certainly if we're talking about an official performance review, yes, you should talk about strengths and areas for, for improvement. But if we're talking about just a feedback discussion, you want to address an unwanted behavior or an undesirable behavior that a team member is displaying, then just talk about that behavior. And then you can talk about some of their strengths to help address that behavior. I'm not saying that you never bring in some positive aspects, but I think sometimes we get so focused on trying to make that sandwich <laughs> that it muddies the waters and we're trying to come up with something positive maybe to say, which can come across as disingenuous. And so really it's about that clarity and just focus on the, the conversation and dialogue you need to have rather than trying to come up with this and make the sandwich. Right. And I'm actually so glad you brought that up because let's put the sandwich away. <laughs> let's, mm -hmm, let's pull out mm -hmm. a new menu, right? Because yes, <laughs> I, I read an article a while back. I'm going to do my best to find that link and put it out in the episode notes too, about when you use that sandwich approach, if you stick the negative in the middle, people's minds will focus on the negative because that feels more threatening. Yes. And they'll actually not even usually hear what you have to say about the positive thing you put on the other end of that negative thing. So that's a really important thing for people to understand how people process feedback. This is why it's really, really important to think about how you present feedback in an actionable way. And don't make it sound as if you are criticizing the person, mm -hmm. but rather focusing, as you mentioned, on the behaviors you're trying to change or the actions that people can take to do better with the intention of not punishments or not discipline, but with the intention of improving the behavior or moving forward in a more positive direction to be helpful in the success of that individual. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, you know, they call that the negativity bias where we can hear 15 positive things and then one critical. And what do we focus on? <laughs> the, the critical, you know, absolutely. So, you know, that's an excellent point as to, again, why we should just move beyond that approach. And yeah, I, I talk about that all the time, the need for feedback to be, as you said, about the behavior. You know, one of the, the five components of effective feedback that I, I teach people is that it needs to be objective and it needs to be about the behavior. And it's not an, an opinion-based judgment on the person that it really is just about, okay, these are, these are the behaviors we're seeing that are not ideal, you know, or that are problematic. And let's talk about ways to help you grow and move forward so that we can see these behaviors that are to the level that is this ideal or optimal or even satisfactory, depending on where somebody is um, and what you're addressing. But that that is a, a crucial point. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, thank you. And I, I agree. And I, I've experienced kind of both ends of that in my career. And I've had that very critical feedback without actionable items. And it just left me feeling terrible, just terrible and really in, impacted my engagement, my productivity. Yes. And it really just, yeah, it just feels terrible. It feels bad. Uh, we don't want to leave anybody in that space when I feel like people and leaders in particular are supporting the success of their people. So we talked about taking the sandwich off the menu. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to give you an opportunity to create a new menu. And so if you were to create a new menu about how to give great feedback to employees, what would that menu include? Yeah. So 
What I teach and what I coach clients, I mentioned that there's five key components to effective feedback, and I call it the STOPS approach. So the acronym is, you know, S-T-O-P-S. And the first component, and this circles back to when we talked a little bit ago about trust, that first component is creating a safe space. Uh, That has to be absolutely element one. (laughs) Very beginning is creating that safe space for open dialogue. Because as you said, if you don't have that safe space and it's not presented in the right way, that will feel like a personal attack. And people aren't going to be able to effectively hear what you have to say. And also, I need to mention that when I talk about feedback, I really am talking about a feedback culture and that it's a two-way street. So leaders need to be willing not only to provide both positive and critical feedback on a regular basis, but also receive it. And if you don't have a safe space, people aren't going to feel comfortable giving you that honest and you know candid feedback. They're not going to be able to give their leaders that feedback that is so crucial. Mm-hmm. So uh, safe space is absolutely step one. And I would argue the most important of all of them. The second is timing. And this, again, goes back to often leaders, because they can be uncomfortable conversations, especially with critical feedback, they tend to put them off. And one of the things I always say is that delay equals dilute. And so if you delay giving that feedback, you're diluting your message. Um, and it it will more likely feel like an attack on the person. If it's, if it's critical feedback, they're going to think, why are you telling me this now? Um, they're really not going to be able to receive it in the most effective way. So timing is so important. And that's equally true for positive feedback. If you wait two weeks to tell somebody, <laughs> you know, to affirm something they've done, that's really not going to have the same effect as if you mention it right away. And the O would be for objective, which we already talked about and kind of touched on that it really is about objective information about the the behaviors that are being demonstrated. And yes, how can we move forward and have some action steps to address those behaviors? The P, I cheat a little bit with the P because it's actually for positive and critical. (laughs) And it's about having a balance and making sure that you are on a regular basis providing both. So I don't advocate for a specific ratio. I don't say that it should be four to one. Again, if you are sitting down to provide feedback with someone or or even doing kind of feedback on the fly, maybe after a meeting, you're giving them some feedback. You know, it's going to, again, feel disingenuous if you need to give critical feedback, but you're trying to come up with something positive to say, that's not going to feel as authentic. So it's really about having a balance and being mindful. And one of the things in some of my coaching programs that I encourage leaders to do is to keep track of the feedback they're giving, whether they do a mental tally or literally keep track and just take a look. Is there a healthy balance of positive and critical? Because some people, while it's we keep saying or I keep saying this idea that, you know, we tend to avoid the critical feedback. Some leaders are really good at giving critical feedback. <laughs> they do it all the time, but they forget to give the positive feedback. And so it really is about having that balance. And then the last one, and then I'll pause because I'm doing a lot of the talking right now, is specific. And uh, so this really helps lead to those action steps that you mentioned, this idea that we really are giving specific feedback. It's not just you need to respond to emails more timely. Okay, well, that's okay as a start, but then what does that really mean? What does more timely mean? Um, If you don't give the individual very clear, specific feedback and action steps, you're not really helping them grow and you're not helping them improve that behavior. You need to be able to kind of measure, is that needle moving forward? So those are the five components that I talk about and teach. 
Yeah, th- those are fabulous. What a great framework for people to be able to follow and remember as they provide actionable, valuable feedback to their employees so they can improve. And I've got to say, too, that was really valuable information. So you can talk as long as you want about valuable information. Oh. <laughs> my my <laughs> listeners hear plenty from me. That's why I bring in people like you. <laughs> So thank you so much for sharing that. I think that is going to help a lot of folks. Or what are some of the benefits that organizations might have through being able to leverage effective feedback for their people through their leadership channels? Yeah, you know, there there's so much value to having that regular feedback being woven into the to the fabric of of a team, both for the individual team members, but yeah, also for the organization, for the agency. You know, and we actually have quantifiable <laughs> research that talks about the cost of ineffective communication, but also the benefits. On the cost side, when you have ineffective communication, there was one study that showed that between the UK and the US combined, $37 billion was lost from ineffective communication. So basically from team members, from employees, not understanding their roles, making mistakes and not having that corrected, you know, that, those misunderstandings and that miscommunication led to $37 billion in lost productivity. But on the flip side, there's research that shows that agencies that are labeled effective communicators, that they have uh, 50% higher returns. Um, you know, there are 50% more profitable than those businesses within that study that were labeled ineffective communicators. So, I mean, we've talked a lot about more employee well-being and morale through this conversation, but really we can see when you look at the actual dollars and cents that ineffective communication actually even just affects bottom line. So if for no other reason than for business savvy and and productivity, it really is worth having those conversations, having that effective communication and feedback. But of course, I would argue that, you know, it's even more important to be mindful of employee morale, employee satisfaction. And we could also talk about the cost of ineffective communication from that standpoint. We know that when employees leave, when you have employee turnover, that that is very expensive. And so if you can cultivate this environment, this culture where employees feel empowered and that they are challenged, but in a healthy and positive way, you're going to have higher morale, which is going to lead to lower turnover. You're going to have that team that is really working at an optimal level. You know, one of the things that I say regularly is that communication is the driver of energy placement. And when I say that, and I think we can all relate to this, when you have an environment where there is not healthy communication and team members are feeling excluded or perhaps it's even worse and it's a a toxic environment. What do employees spend their time doing? They spend their time complaining to their coworkers (laughs) about the bosses, about the work environment. They're spending their time and energy in that negative space, that negative energy, and they're focused on what's going wrong and why are they feeling that way? And is it them? Is it the team, you know, what's happening. But if you have an environment that is having that open communication, that open dialogue, then those team members are freed up to spend their time on creativity, on problem solving, on being productive, all the things that we want employees and team members to be focused on, and they want to be focused on, um, they're freed up to do that because they're not focus on all the the negative things and and what's going wrong. And there really are just such ripple effects. And at the heart of all of that really is communication. That sounds so simple and basic, 
but it is so true. What well, is very powerful because through those communications, not only you're giving people some level of comfort in the safety of their environment, psychological safety, but also just the fact that they can operate without feeling that they might make mistakes. And I think that really kind of helps reduce the amount of fear that those organizations or those teams might experience. And fear is a huge deterrent to progress, a huge deterrent to productivity. People might leave your organization or certainly won't be as effective because people in a fearful state are, you know, under a state of feeling like they're being threatened in some way, can't work at their best. So even though it seems like communication is a very simple thing, uh, it's actually a very powerful thing to help keep people affected, help them feel safe in their environment, help, help them feel supported. And as you mentioned before, help develop trust within teams and between leaders and their employees. Absolutely. And when you have, as you said, that safe space to take healthy risks and to make mistakes, but in a way that then you're encouraged to learn from those mistakes. And that is so powerful. And that's how we grow. I tell people, even when they avoid these difficult conversations, I say, you're not doing anybody any favors. You're not doing yourself a favor by avoiding the conversation because you're carrying around this weight of you know you need to have the conversation, you're worried about it and you're building it up in your mind and you're going down the rabbit hole of 25 negative what ifs. And so you're carrying that around. That's not helpful for you, but you're also not doing that employee any favors. You know, if it's somebody who really is having performance issues and that that really needs to be addressed, you're not helping them. You're not helping the rest of the team. Everybody's growing frustrated, but maybe it's not even that there's, truly a negative performance issue, but it really is just about that opportunity for growth. And if you aren't giving that feedback on a regular basis, you're depriving that person of that opportunity to grow. You know, I I wouldn't say that it's absolutely impossible to grow without feedback, but it really is difficult. If we don't know the things that we're doing right, that we should continue to do, if we're not hearing that from people, and if we're not hearing those things that we could do better, you know, how are we to know? We're, we're not very good judges of our own <laughs> performance. So you're really depriving that person of that opportunity to grow and for yourself as well. I mean, I've grown so much as a leader through having those conversations as well. And so it really is about that opportunity for everybody to work at their best level and creating that safe space to, to take risks in a good way and make mistakes and learn from them. And it really is just such a a key way to help cultivate that growth for everybody. Yeah. And being able to have those open conversations is so important as, you know, we talked before, I talk about on the podcast as well, you know, shaping the future, about creating an environment that allows for innovation, allows for advancement, allows for creativity. Mm -hmm. Having a safe space is the perfect example of, of a place where you see a lot of innovation. You see a lot of creativity start to sprout up because people feel safe to share their ideas and, and to explore those ideas. But I think one of the things that organizations are also struggling with now in the face of unprecedented times and this crazy world in which we're living with multiple distractions, we have to acknowledge that there are things that sometimes around us that aren't going quite well. So one of the things that I talk about on the podcast too is for us to think about those things we might be concerned about in the future so we can think about actions we can take, you know, to maybe change that direction. But what would be some of the things that you might be concerned about for our future? When I think about concerns for the future, I think, especially given where we are right now, it I think it would be very easy to fall into a space of limited connection. I think in that, that limited connection could lead to reduced 
communication and feedback and again, overall connection. And that's because we are pulled in so many different directions right now. So many of us are working remotely and from home. And I know even for myself, even though I'm now around my family more than I ever was, because of that, I almost find myself retreating sometimes because I don't ever get that solitude and I don't ever get that opportunity to to recharge and refresh. And even, you know, we're constantly on Zoom meetings and like our whole, I don't know, our whole day-to-day routines and our whole lives right now have been so, for many people have been shifted. So even though we're probably in some ways more connected, I feel like it's also a recipe to become disconnected, if that makes any sense at all. Um, (laughs) In my mind, it makes sense. So I think, you know, being intentional about the times that we truly are connected and being intentional about the ways that we communicate with people and fostering those conversations and that communication. I think that's going to be so important. And we need to do that in entirely different ways now. You know, we, again, so many people working remotely, you can't just stop by your coworker's office or, um, you know, meet up by the the coffee machine. Uh, You know, we need to be intentional about the way we have those connections, both with our colleagues, you know, our coworkers, but also I think at home, having those boundaries for the times that we are connected and having that true connection, not just kind of orbiting around each other all the time. Right. And I think that point about human connection has become so much more obvious to all of us uh, because we had forced separation from people that were used to being around every day. Of course, we felt very disrupted by that. I think initially, like early in the pandemic, people were, I think, trying to find the advantages of the circumstance or from a short-term perspective. But as time went on, uh, people started to struggle more and more. There's been a huge increase in the amount of adults uh, reporting depression, for instance, and how loneliness is always bad before the pandemic and how that continues to be on the rise um, and how that impacts us as people. But I think one of the things that was is also interesting about that is us trying to find solutions to those problems that could persist into the future, into our post-pandemic world, whatever that might look like, developing these behaviors, as you mentioned, that are more intentional about building human connection because now We understand the value of that and we can hope that people start to carry that forward into the future and think about human connection differently than they had in the past because our lives were turned upside down and we were forced to see the importance of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. So if we start thinking about things that we can do, but also things that might be beneficial in our future, what might be some of the things that you're optimistic about for the future? One of the things that I I am optimistic about is that while there is there's so much going on in our society right now here in the United States and things can be <laughs> very tumultuous, I think the upside to that and what I'm optimistic about is that we are having these difficult conversations that, again, we tend to, I think, avoid these difficult conversations because they're uncomfortable. But we're at a place right now where we're really being forced to have some of these difficult conversations. And I think that's a good thing. You know, we think about diversity and inclusion, and we think about how our systems respond to the people within our society. And just thinking about, again, these difficult conversations that are uncomfortable to have, but just avoiding them doesn't help us move forward. So I I am optimistic for the future 
that we're seeing now that we're starting to really have the dialogue that needs to happen on so many levels. And we're having these difficult conversations. And I'm optimistic that that will continue, that both in terms of broader society and the dialogue that we need to happen, again, about diversity, inclusion, equity, but also like you were just mentioning, and we think about how we connect together as humans and how we, I don't know, how we cultivate our resolve, (laughs) all of those things that are also occurring as a result of this pandemic. I'm optimistic that we are at a space and a place where we're realizing we need to have that communication. And that to me is, is huge. And I think is a great thing. Yeah. And thank goodness we have people like you reminding folks out in the world the importance of effective communications, um, because really, given the level of disruption again, I mean, communication, of course, was important before the pandemic and before our largely remote workforce. But now it's even more important than ever, especially that point that you made about being intentional about our connection, being intentional about thinking about the experience of other people, and then how we kind of build on our ability to be empathetic with others and what they're dealing with, but also how do we build connections both virtually and maybe in the future when we can all get together again and have lunch and coffee and how much we're going to greatly appreciate that point in time, I think. (laughs) So someday, Kelly, I'd love to have a cup of coffee and maybe maybe (laughs) we can have these. (laughs) Absolutely. Continue the conversation further. But I really appreciate you joining me today to talk about the power of effective communication, the importance of effective feedback, how leaders can you know, put the sandwich away, take out a new menu <laughs> and provide new ways of giving effective feedback to their employees that really help them do better in their work and become engaged and inspired and be able to be their best selves at work. So Dr. Kelly Waltman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it. expertise in communications and feedback help us understand something that deep down we may know very well. Effective communications are critical to business outcomes, the quality of our work, and to human connection. By passing on the compliment sandwich, leaders may find an opportunity to bring the best out of their employees, create psychological safety, build trust, and achieve great outcomes. But as we noted in this conversation, feedback should not only be given from the leadership ranks. It should occur at all levels and to all levels of an organization. Effective feedback is not only an art, but it's also a gift. It allows us to view ourselves through another lens and fully understand the impact of our actions. This can help us improve, but also better support others. Honest, meaningful feedback builds trust and provides us with the opportunity for growth. What a great gift indeed. So consider what great actionable feedback would do for you. Then consider what feedback you could provide to others as a gift with the goal of supporting their growth. This is a great opportunity for you to make a positive difference for others and encourage them on their journey to work at their best and hopefully so that you can work together to shape a better future. So go on, go help shape the future. To learn more about Dr. Kelly Waltman, check out slrleadershipconsulting.com. That's slrleadershipconsulting.com. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then. Hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Episode notes can be found at humansnowandthen.com. 
Thank you for listening. 